You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melfior, and you cannot see me air drumming that uh, intro. Uh, lucky for you. Uh, and my guest today is uh, Jessica Kleinschmidt, also from FanRag and from many, many other places. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we've got more news on David Price, a lot of other news items. So, Jessica, thanks for coming on again this week. And it's actually been a two-appearance week for you, so... Double duty for you. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> of course. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I mentioned David Price. We're going to get to him in a second because I think that's still obviously the big, big story. But there were a mm-hmm. few things that broke just right before we came on here, Jess. So I want to tackle those before uh, we move on to some other things. Uh, Adrian Beltre had an MRI, but uh, the results mm-hmm. apparently are clean because he was in the Rangers okay. lineup uh, for today. So that is some very good news for uh, for Beltre. Uh, not good news for Brett Laurie. Sort of an out-of-nowhere yeah. development. Yeah, the White Sox let him go. They released him. So uh, any questions that we had about uh, how are they going to make room for Yohan Moncada, I think that just became a lot easier. Uh, but in the meantime, well, I would guess that... Yeah. I mean, I know it's going to affect his ADP a little bit, but my thing is, is does that necessarily mean they want to rush him and have him start in the bigs? Do you think he's still going to start in AAA? I don't really know because I, I don't think it was necessarily – I don't think Lori was that big of a threat to Yohan Mankata. I mean, I know the mentality was, okay, well, maybe we can take a break, and uh, if Brett ever needs a break, we can put Yohan in. But I don't really know if he was that much of a threat, you know, otherwise. I mean, they're both, like, freakishly amazing athletes, but I still don't know if that 100% means he's going to start in the bigs. No, I, in fact, I'm still assuming Moncada does not start in the bigs. I think right. Right. maybe it accelerates his timetable a little bit. I, really what I, I'm glad you asked that because I think that what I said deserves some clarification, that I don't think that Laurie was going to be a great roadblock to Moncada, but there was the question yeah. of I would assume they would have tried to move him. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see them keeping Brett Laurie around to be a bench player, and apparently they – <laughs> they felt they did feel that way uh, because they've just right. let him go. So, yeah, I don't know that it has that much immediate impact on Moncada. It's just more it's it's more the the how than the when. I think is the better way I right. should have put it initially. But the, I think because mm-hmm. Moncada, I think will start in AAA. There is a question of uh, who's going to be a placeholder there. Uh, my guess would be it's Tyler Saladino, but uh, yeah. Yes, so you're, you're agreeing or anybody else that you could see there? No, I could definitely see that. It just, it, it honestly makes me stressed out a little bit more because when it came to Yohan, we're like, okay, cool. We do have kind of a quote excuse to add to the fact that he could start in AAA. And obviously, I just don't think he's mentally ready for, for the bigs. But at the same time, with Brett there, it was like, okay, there was, that was the placeholder. That's what we were mentally prepared for. And this, like you said, came out of freaking nowhere. So it was like, <laughs> all right, okay. And I had a double take, you know, check it a couple times. It kind of weirded me out. And the thing I liked about, I mean, comparing them, they're both, like I mentioned, freakish athletes. These guys look like they could play in the NFL. And if you follow any sort of social media with Brett, you know that the guy is just ridiculously athletic and Yuan looks like he could be any sort of 
position player um, in football. So it's definitely like they compare on that level, especially if you're looking at the other, the other second baseman, they're not the same physically, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but I, I hope people realize like, don't get too scared when it comes to you mentally being prepared for you want to start in AAA, especially the people that were way high on him as far as their drafts go. But at the same time, like you mentioned, it's definitely going to accelerate him a little bit more. Yeah, no, I think it, if it's going to make a difference, that's the difference. And I don't even know that it's right. going to be a, a huge acceleration. But it puts mm-hmm. Saladino on my on my deep league radar. He has a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. So even if he's just up for a couple of months in a regular role, I mean, I shouldn't say up. I mean, I, I, he could easily slide into a, a utility role. But it gives right. it gives Saladino an opportunity actually to establish himself in mm-hmm. that role. Or maybe... Mm-hmm. Uh, move over to third because there have been rumors for several months about the White Sox moving Todd Frazier. So uh, there's more to think about now. You know, there's more to think about. Um, Just a few other things. Like I said, we got a lot to get to. Uh, David Dahl, his back injury. You know, when we talk about players being day-to-day in spring training, this is why we pay attention to that. Because David Dahl initially looked like he was uh, just day-to-day minor back injury. Now, Rockies manager Bud Black is saying that the injury is more serious than uh, initially thought. So mm-hmm. um, that is the situation to watch because it, it may be now the type of situation that, that keeps Dahl out beyond opening day. Not definitely, but mm-hmm. that seems like a greater likelihood at this point. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah, when it comes to your back, I'm too, sorry. you really got to be careful. Well, you know, it's okay when it comes to your back injuries, too. Like, they don't. They don't mess around with that, and they shouldn't because something small could always be something big. So I'm glad they're kind of taking it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started to mention before, Adrian Gonzalez will be back on Monday. So that is good news. Mm-hmm. He's been dealing with a uh, tennis elbow. Jason Kipnis is scheduled to make his Cactus League debut sometime okay. next week. So that's uh, very good news for him as well. Not that I think that that's a, a huge surprise. And uh, let's see, let's let's go back to David Price, because uh, that was the big story yesterday. But since then, he's had uh, an MRI come back inconclusive, according to John Mm -hmm. Farrell, his manager. Uh, But today is the big day where he's at Indianapolis at the NFL Combine, where Dr. James Andrews is, and he will have that elbow examined. So there'll probably be even more news on David Price later today, but at least for right now. It mm-hmm. looks the outlook's a little better right now than it was 24 hours ago when I was right. doing this show because at that point we were talking about oh my gosh you're seeing Dr. Andrews and this is really mm-hmm. terrible but some some better news to to temper uh, those those initial developments. So, yeah, well, uh, I mean, any yeah. I mean if if I if I see Dr. Andrews myself, I know something's wrong, but the you know believe it or not, and it kind of sucks. Like this was a, a certain scenario where I'm very much I, I know these fantasy players are human and it really sucks to me sometimes when I have to do like the, the constructive criticism but a lot of the DFS community was actually relieved if this does end up being a really bad injury DFS wise David Price was not a favorite pitcher last year and it was interesting to, to hear the community um, as far as daily fantasy sports talk about it when it came to you know the the fantasy perspective is tilting price the DFS scenario wasn't too pro so it was interesting to hear people's reactions. You know, you kind of get scared, but the fantasy community was like, well, he wasn't that you know, great. And I really hate being a part of that conversation. It was just an interesting dynamic to be a part of yesterday. That's for sure. 
Well, that, now that's interesting because yeah, I wasn't really, I wasn't at all privy to what was going on in the DFS mm-hmm. community yesterday, and so I take it that Price just was, uh, just uh, every time he went out was a high price pitcher because of the long term track right. record, and and he didn't have a typical mm-hmm. David Price season, so. Yeah, maybe uh, you know, maybe uh, there was something lingering there all along. I mean, that certainly was one of the first thoughts that crossed my mind. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't think I don't know uh, from a fancy perspective. I'm still, you know, certainly it's to me it's not a, a relief to have him out of the pool. If anything, uh, he could have been a value because of coming mm-hmm. off of a relatively down season. And of course, we just right not not news you ever want to hear about uh, any player. Absolutely. But, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. some mild good news, so maybe maybe not so bad. Uh, right. Also, uh, from the pitching world, according to the Bergen record, Zach Wheeler is expected to begin the regular season at extended spring training. And so that pretty much hands the fifth starter job to Robert Giselman. Uh, I don't think, again, mm-hmm. that is anything that people weren't, if not foreseeing, at least holding sort of a contingency plan for. But right. if you like Giselman, you've got a little bit more reason to like him today uh, with that news. Jung Ho Gong has been uh, given an eight-month sentence uh, in uh, South Korea where he was on trial for the, the DUI uh, charge. And that sentence has been suspended for two years. So now uh, it does appear he'll be with the Pirates, but the, they're still working out visa issues. So Gong's situation is still still very much up in the air. And then once those are resolved, mm-hmm. the Pirates are waiting for Gong to come to the U.S. so they can talk to him and, and make their own decision about discipline. So um, that, that situation is far from resolved. Uh, Ad- oh, we talked about Adrian Beltre. A uh, couple of stories. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, when you were talking about Moncada, you said something that really almost provided a segue to what I wanted to talk about here. A couple of stories. One about Joey Gallo, one about Vince Velasquez. And what you said about Moncada was you didn't think that he was necessarily mentally prepared for the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's – I would assume that's based on reports or you know things that you've been hearing mm-hmm. or reading. A couple of reports here. Joey Gallo, uh, even though he's not having a great spring so far numbers-wise – that uh, the team is very, very happy with him. He's uh, got a much easier approach. Uh, I guess his swing is coming more easily. And just he's just having an easier time with his work process. Whereas I guess when he mm-hmm. would strike out before or fly out, he would his body language wasn't really good. But there was a report today right. from Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News that Gallo you know, mentally seems much better prepared for the season. And even though it's likely mm-hmm. to begin in AAA, that's... That's good news for Joey Gallo, I would think. Right, right. Well, and I think he was mentally prepared and everybody was kind of mentally prepared for him to be in AAA. And I think once you accept it and you get over the frustrations of, well, I'm as opposed to saying I'm not going to make the bigs right now, uh, like, well, let's see what I can do um, in AAA and see what, you know, how that, you know, pans out. And I think everybody knew that, all that competition out there. Um, not necessarily a bad thing. The Rangers have a lot of great players. And I think he, once he realized that and he kind of let that sit in, he was like, okay, now he can embrace what he needs to do as opposed to what he's missing out on. Now, does that make you that report of him having a a different attitude? Does that Mm -hmm. make you any more? I wouldn't say less. I don't know how that would make anybody less inclined, but does that make you any more inclined to take a flyer on him and stashing him for later in the season? 
I really, really do. But my, my thing is, is I, I get really nervous with PCL hitters, um, especially when it came to Gallo. Cause I mean, didn't, when he did get bumped up, he had, he struggled. And I think that, I don't know if, if I would mentally go to, towards the aspect of, okay, well maybe he learned what he needs to work on. And after he gets pulled up, it's a different scenario. Um, and he does really well in PCL and like, he's just a bigger guy. He has a huge strike zone, but, and he, but he also possesses so much power. So um, I think it's a matter of, it'll be in the back of my mind. I don't think, you know, after reading a report, it's like, okay, cool. He's got the confidence, whatever, really difficult to me to go a hundred percent on it. But I definitely keep that in the back of my mind. Um, I, I'm a huge, you know, firm believer in like the chemistry mentality aspect, which I get a lot of crap for in the DFS world, but I don't really care. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to him, he, like, like you said, or like I said, uh, he's realizing what he needs to work on. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind, not going to get too pumped on it. Cause it is kind of, you don't want to put all your money in on a mentality issue, but um, definitely something I keep in the back of my mind. Okay. Well then let's take kind of a counter example to that report from MLB.com's Todd Zalecki that Vince Velasquez is also uh, having some, uh, some issues in terms of how to approach his spring preparation. Now Velasquez was somebody I talked about on the show yesterday with Liz Rocher mm-hmm. And I had talked about how I had heard and or read things. I don't uh, at this point recall the exact sources, but how Velasquez was not necessarily uh, always open to uh, input that he was getting and, and that uh, he was more of a thrower mm-hmm. than a pitcher. It may have been something I heard on a, on a broadcast. I'm not really sure. But then after that show, almost right after that show, this report came out that Velasquez, is, uh, he's been working on his curveball and he's been mm-hmm. given this data that it's getting slammed perhaps because he's putting too much spin on it because the high spin rate, that's going to, you know, elevate it and and put it in a place uh, where it's going to be easier to launch it. And he was quoted as saying that he's not worried about spin rate. uh, And and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically, you know, that's, that's not really going to be helpful for him. He's having problems just locating it in the strike zone. And he's got to worry about that first. So does this, worry you in the same way that you're encouraged by Gallo and quotes coming from him, does it worry you that Velasquez is being given data to try to help him and he's saying that it basically it's not useful for him? Yeah, and I feel like that's, you know, each each kind of player is different. They're very like, they either embrace the stats or, you know, but yeah, I have the quote in front of me and he's his thing is he said he, I'm not too worried about my spin. I can't throw it for a strike right now. So I shouldn't be worried about spin rate. I should be worried about my strike rate, which to me seems like he's not, he's kind of looking too much on the surface of it rather than really digging into what the, the quote issue is or what the issue could potentially be. Um, and he's just being so anti. And he even said, he's like, I know my potential. I'm working hard. Um, he wants to be that number one starter. And it just, to me, it's like, this is what he wants to do, but he's not embracing any sort of, of help. And people aren't going to be giving this data trying to ruin him at all. Um, I, I think he's just trying too much to be on the surface of things. So that does worry me as opposed to somebody who's, you know, like really trying to get in there, look at the reports on their stuff. Um, you know, I know a lot of the guys in the off season really get in there and read a lot of articles and whether it's a catcher or a pitcher or a batter or whatever. So this kind of worries me to the point where I think he's not going to be really embracing the issues he could have. Yeah, well, I want to talk about this some more. We got to go to break, but we'll we'll wrap up right. that conversation, which I think there's a lot more we can say about it. We've got some pitchers who are going today who are who are interesting. A couple other notes from yesterday. We will dig into all that right after the break.
You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and joining me again today is Jessica Kleinschmidt from FanRag and many other destinations online. And we were uh, in the middle of uh, what I thought was a pretty uh, meaty conversation, Jess, uh, before the break about how we as fantasy owners respond to reports that we get about players, about kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on uh, in terms of the mental part of their game, the emotional Mm -hmm. part of their game. And so we have on the one hand, the one report about Joey Gallo, who's really taking things more in stride this spring. And and that's really pleasing uh, the people in his organization. And then on the other hand, you got Vince Velasquez, who's being given uh, data on uh, the spin rate of his curveball and, He's basically saying that's not really going to be helpful to me, and I'm more focused on on these other data points. And uh, so, you know, you were saying that if uh, I'm going to just kind of try to paraphrase what you said, so feel free to correct me. But that, that <laughs> it's the sort of thing that you would take into account. So you're looking at your mm-hmm. draft queue, and you're looking at starting pitchers, and Velasquez is out there, and but there may be a couple other pitchers that are out there, and and maybe Velasquez. Uh, gets a little bit of a downgrade for you because of that. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair way? Is that a fair thing for me to infer? Yeah. It's more of like a tiebreaker for me. You know, like if I have a scenario where, and even like when it comes to BVP, I know everybody's anti BVP, but I'll use BVP for like a tiebreaker for me. So if I do know that he's, you know, mentally not that very, if he's super immature, just not embracing anything that the coaches are going to tell him that could really affect your fantasy game. You know, if he's not going to be listening to any of his coaches, if he's not going to be um, really paying attention to the deep issues when it comes to any sort of his rate or anything that he's throwing, that could be a, a, a sort of a red flag for me. I think that's more of a red flag for me than it is for somebody like having the confidence going on. Um, and I don't really know if you want to say if it's confidence or if they're going on like any sort of hitting streak to me, there's very thin line for me. If you want to say like, Oh, he's confident or is he just white hot right now? And, and extremely just like going on that tan, like that rough you know, scenario, it just, it's hard for me to kind of di- differentiate between the two. So I would probably be more anti a guy who's negative than more pro a guy who's confident, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And, and I'm the same way. And part of the reason that I raise this as an issue, part of it is just we have these two stories that are sort of conflicting points of view on, on different players. And I just found the contrast interesting, but also because this is something that I do. And the thing is, you know, being in the profession that we're in, Jess, you know, sometimes we, we talk to ball players. I, actually, I get the sense you've probably done a lot more of that than I have. But I think mm-hmm. back to two years ago, and I talked to Sean Newcomb when he was at the uh, the Futures game, and mm-hmm. the you know at that point, as is the the situation with him today, that the one thing he really see- seemed to needed to work on was his control, and it was something I asked him mm-hmm. about, and his response was essentially, "Well, I don't really worry about that." Right. <laughs> I thought, "How can you not worry about that? This is the, right. the you know." This is the, the, the sore thumb and your, your whole profile. And then, hmm. again, still here we are, 2017 spring training, and Sean Newcomb still has these control issues. So fairly mm-hmm. or unfairly, and I suspect it might be unfair that in a, a dynasty league where he might be available, I'm not that interested. And sort of the same right. thing with Velasquez. He's got some really great peripherals, but, again, fairly or unfairly, I, I do, I think uh, – penalize them a bit uh, for these kinds of reports. So something, well, it's something interesting to think that you about. say yeah. that because, 
like even when I notice a lot of people that are involved in drafts will text me be like, hey, have you ever met this guy? What is his mental state? Is he competent in a season? So it does to certain people do measure if they want to put, and usually it's the lower level, like lower league, uh, lower round kind of scenarios, like uh, a AAA guy. Of course, they're always going to ask me, like, was he confident in it? Or like, how was he feeling? Did you actually physically watch him? What was his attitude like? That's obviously not the 100% of the questions, but they do, some people do take that into consideration, which is interesting. Not a lot of people do, but I would, I still get text messages asking, you know, when you did interview him, what was his, his makeup like kind of deal? So it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think it's very interesting. Like I said, I'm not sure I'm entirely fair when I do that. So that's something I'll be chewing on uh, certainly throughout throughout the season and not not just on draft day. But let's shift gears a little bit. Actually, I want to go, Jessica, something you were tweeting about yesterday. Uh, Shelby mm-hmm. Miller and Dansby Swanson both had notable performances. <laughs> and you, I don't know if you created the hashtag or if it's just something I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't hip to. But oh, uh, what was it? I Talk was about the, the first, trade? I think. <laughs> tweet about the trade. <laughs> That's a tweet about the trade. <laughs> no matter what happens. I mean, like I, you, you, you mentioned me like interviewing these baseball players. I, I think I'd be like, I'm probably like not the best fantasy analyst because after I meet a baseball player and we have a great conversation, I write a great article on him. I get so attached to his career. I'm like, I really root for this guy. He was super nice kind of deal. So, you know, when Shelby got demoted last season after an interview with him, I was just pulling for him. And even though he was in a bad mood, he was so cool to me. And like that to me says a lot. When you're, when you interview AAA ball players, you're getting, they're always going to be in a bad mood. They're either not promoted yet or they just got demoted. So they're just going to be in a crappy mood no matter what. So every time I tweet about Shelby Miller, anything Diamondbacks related, I interviewed Tony La Russa and people were like, blah, 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 Shelby Miller trade. And I'm like, dude, I interviewed Tony freaking La Russa and you're coming at me with this damn trade. It was just the most annoying thing ever. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm trolling everybody back out and I'm just tweeting about this quote trade and kind of deal. And that's what I'm doing because people annoyed me with that and that's what I'm doing with it back, but they're both doing well. So people can back, back off <laughs> at the moment. Anyway, I don't know. We'll see. That's right. Yeah, you might, you might have to retire the hashtag uh, at this rate yeah. uh, <laughs> yes. uh, against the Cubs. Shelby Miller pitched three innings, gave up just one hit, no walks and six strikeouts. Mm-hmm. So an excellent line for Miller. I will admit I did not watch any of the performance, uh, but it's a good line. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, any, I don't know if, in fact, I'm not even sure if that one was televised, uh, but did you, were you able to see it or? Uh, I wasn't, other, no, I, okay. I, I'm getting all the East Coast teams for some weird freaking reason. So it's really, <laughs> I'll like, cause I, you know, I haven't really been able, to, I've only been just turning on my TV. I haven't really been going in depth and into, you know, watching everything on, on my computer, but um, mm. I'm getting all the East Coast teams, but it, it's looking like Miller had an up and down uh, for his um, spring debut. And the last one, I think he kind of evened it out and, you know, the guy just, I love watching him pitch and, you know, I've, I've only seen him a couple of times, one in the bigs and then one down um, in AAA. And no matter what, the guy just puts on a performance and he works really hard. And I really hope he just comes back just to shut people up because I mean, <laughs> if anything, if, and these guys love the competition, no matter what, they're just, they're competitive about everything. And I just really hope that he can just silence a lot of people. And if anything, put the diamond back, you know, question marks to rest. I know like um, when I talked to Tony LaRussa, he was saying, you know what, like there's a lot less pressure, um, especially in the NL West this year with the Dodgers, the Rockies and um, 
the Giants kind of taking over. So the Diamondbacks have other stuff to work work on. So I just hope he just silenced a bunch of people. And then on the flip side, Dancy Swanson's doing obviously really well um, too, like you mentioned. But that, it's looking at, so at least even at the moment, I know it's just spring training, but it's a lot less drama on the Twitter.com, which is nice. Yeah, well, Dansby uh, Swanson, he homered against Adam Wainwright, and uh, his batting average is now at 455 for the spring. So we're talking small samples. We're talking spring stats, mm-hmm. which are usually very misleading. But this is somebody who I think is probably on a lot of radars for uh, mm-hmm. know, radar or radars. He's on the radar. Uh, it's a potential He's on the, there we go. Yeah. In his first full season. <laughs> so encouraging signs there from Dansby Swanson. So I want to um, talk about a couple of pitchers. We don't have a whole lot of time before break. So maybe if we can just mm-hmm. kind of keep this to some bullet points, but two pitchers, one who I'm sure you're very familiar with Kendall Graveman. Uh, Cause we didn't really mm-hmm. talk about him when we talked about the A's. Uh, I think it was in the last uh, episode you were on Jessica and Dylan mm-hmm. Covey, uh, who's a rule five guy. Uh, who's going to start today for the White Sox against the Padres. Uh, any thoughts about Graveman or Covey? I didn't really do – I don't really know much about Covey, but when it comes to uh, Graveman, um, obviously he had a lot of pressure on him because he kind of came to the A's from the Josh Donaldson deal. And you want to talk – why don't people tweet about that damn trade? Okay, like back off. Uh, his um, his strikeout rate was um, an issue coming into last season, so that was kind of what he was working on. Um, I don't think they came at him with any sort of data. Not that was too soon, sorry. But his velocity is is okay. Um, it's it's there. It's um, low nineties, ninety three point five is what he's staying at. Um, he's limited in walks, and his run prevention run prevention numbers are pretty large. Um, but they do they and they have been improved. So he's definitely something that that's on my radar. Not a huge guy as far as a fantasy aspect for me um, in like the first few rounds, obviously, but the A's are kind of like there and I, I could see it any sort of like a DFS perspective. I'm actually really seeing what, what he can do. He's obviously going to be super cheap, which I really love looking at um, better than the mid tier kind of deal. So the sky's limit when it comes to Graveman um, and his ERA uh, lacks upside, which kind of ner- makes me nervous. Um, especially for those in those standard leagues kind of deal, but um, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I kind of like guys like this in a, in a value sort of way because what Covey and, and Graveman really have in common is they they both are very good at getting a lot of ground balls, but they're not. And mm-hmm. I think you alluded to this uh, just just now that uh, Graveman not really a great strikeout pitcher. Uh, Covey doesn't profile as one either. And look, I, I just. I'm nerdy about the Rule Five guys. I, you know, I, I root for them. It's right. a great story. You know, who's who's going to be the next Odubel Herrera, the next Dan Ugla? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Covey's probably got as good of a shot as as just about anybody this year. Uh, I think there's an opportunity there in the White Sox rotation. So, both of them will be pitching today. Two pitchers to watch. Uh, on that note, we are going to start taking a much closer look at the Astros right after this break. Mm-hmm. Stick around. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Jessica Klein-Schmidt, also from FanRag and many other places. Uh, and we, as promised before the break, we are going to dig into the Astros uh, over not just one, but two segments, because there's just so much to talk about with this team. Uh, team on the rise, and got a, a lot of uh, great veterans, but a, a ton of great 
prospects too and not sure where everybody fits into the picture. So we're going to try to figure some of that out. But before we do, I, I do have a long-awaited Kendall Graveman update because he's actually now two innings into uh, his uh, outing here against the Giants and doing quite well. He's just given up one hit and one walk, no runs over two innings. So, Oh, good for that. him. Good for Kendall Graveman. So, And uh, he's facing off against Jeff Samarja, who, if I remember right, Jess, is not one of your favorites. No, no. He just needs to take advantage of that, of that AT&T park, and we'll go from there. I just, we're, it's not even get started. It's just going to upset me, Al. It's just going to upset me. All right, yeah, I don't want to... Uh... <laughs> I don't want to dampen the mood here. So, but you want to talk about the Astros, right? That's, that's some happy stuff. I sure do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, well, the, the Astros, you know, they've made uh, several off season moves. They brought in uh, Carlos Beltran and Josh Reddick, Nori Aoki. Uh, and uh, you know, they, they're fortifying a team that looked awfully good last year. And a lot of young players, of course, Carlos Correa and uh, Alex Bregman, so, uh, you know, good roster just as is, but on the fringes of it are a number of prospects who are either major league ready or very close to major league ready. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious about the outlook on these prospects as well as the players that they could potentially displace. So maybe if we could start with the pitching situation, because you look at the, the rotation, it doesn't look like one of the stronger rotations in the American League, although you do have former Cy Young winner Dallas Keuchel, and we'll talk about him later. Uh, Colin McHugh has had some success. Lance McCullers is obviously very exciting from a fantasy perspective with all those strikeouts. But uh, they brought in Charlie Morton, who's going to be in the rotation. You've got Mike Fires, who's mm-hmm. who may or may not be in the rotation. And then you've got three prospects who are all, well, Joe Musgrove is technically not a prospect. He was a rookie last year. But three young pitchers, mm-hmm. and Musgrove, and then the prospects, David Paulino and Francis Mar- Martez. Um, how do you see this all playing out? the season? Well, I mean, I think the, the main question is going to be, can Dallas Keuchel kind of come back? Right. And that was, I mean, that's one of the main questions, but my thing that I'm honestly worried about Al, is Ken Giles. And he's, I mean, this is not the starting rotation, obviously, but my thing is, is, you know, there was so much pressure on him. We knew how that trade worked out. Obviously the Phillies kind of won in that scenario. And I was on this um, ESPN affiliate last year and in Texas. So they were high with the Astros. And my host was just like, I don't want to talk about Ken Giles anymore. He's like, it's so depressing. And it was, it was really bad. And, you know, there was this one girl on Twitter that kept attacking him. It was so bad. And so there's just a lot of questions when it comes to this, the starting, the starting pitcher scenario, you mentioned, um, I'm fires and, and all of that. And it's just, and obviously can we go back to Giles just for a second? Cause I want to dig into all that. Yeah. But when you say that yes. it was a bad situation with Giles, was it because of, of all that anticipation that he was going to be the closer and that it, it took him so long to get into that role or it was, was it more what he did as the closer? I think it was, it was what he, I think there was more of the buildup because there was all that drama, like who was going to win that, um, the, the role in between the reliever or, or the closer kind of deal. And that, mm-hmm. I think that caused way more questions than it really did answers. It's like, okay, well, let's hurry up and solve this and figure it out. And then once it kind of sort of was figured out, there was all this pressure on Giles and he didn't really live up to it, you know, and especially with the trade and how much pressure we were. Don't get me wrong. I was really excited. I was like, oh gosh, this is such a great um, addition to that, to the Astros. This is going to be wonderful. And it didn't really, you know, 
ha- happened. So I think there was way more pressure on him um, just as a pitcher in and of itself, and he didn't play it out to add to the drama of, well, who's going to get this closing and, and reliever role just added to it. So there was just a lot of question, you know, a lot of storyline just around that small thing. So it, at the end, when it didn't really work out in his favor, it just looked like a disaster all around, especially from the beginning when the trade had happened. Okay, because yeah, I I look at it a little differently. I, I think it was a disappointing season for Giles, even when he was closing. But I, I don't think mm-hmm. it was a disaster. And I, I I if I downgrade him, and I do seem to be lower on him than many others uh, in the industry. Mm-hmm. But it it has more to do even with the fact that there is a Luke Gregerson there who closed for a time last year and has yeah. been a good reliever for a long long time. Will Harris, who has a groin injury right now, but is obviously very capable and also has a little bit of closing experience. Chris Devensky, who really emerged out of nowhere last year as one of the elite relievers in terms of his peripherals. Michael Feliz, mm-hmm. uh, who is is another big prospect that I didn't even mention, uh, who could either relieve or start. So that that's that that concerns me more for Giles is just that first of all, there are plenty of viable alternatives to him as a closer. And secondly, we saw with AJ Hinch last spring with the drama that you talked about that he's open to going against convention and right. using a reliever in that role that might not be the one that everybody wants to see or, or that everybody thinks should be in that role. So but I think Giles mm-hmm. himself could just be fine. I mean he's you know, he's yeah. a talented reliever. Uh, all right well Sorry to sidetrack us a little bit, but yeah, you had started um, just to, to talk about that log jam in the rotation. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, well, I, I mean, yeah. I know, no, there's just, there's a lot that we can we can go on, but um, my my thing is is like I I was really excited to see what Dallas Keuchel was going to do last um, scenario. I mean, obviously, I talk about it every single time, and it's that hangover, whether it's a World Series champion or any sort of individual awards. And Dallas Keuchel went through that hangover. Uh, Arietta had a little bit of the hangover too, coming off the Cy Young Award winning year. That happened. And, you know, especially it, it was getting really bad when he was just at home. And, you know, I mean, I get at your task to get Minute Maid Park. There's only so much I can do for you there. That's one of my more neutral parks for me. Um, so that was just really weird that he was just not doing well, you know, at home. Um, so that's a, a huge thing for me. And then, of course, they have all these, um, the, was it, Con He has an injury, doesn't he? the dead arm or something like that working. Oh, that's right. Yes. You you just have the dead arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he has that. And then Lance McCullers, um, he has the the elbow scenario. You mentioned more and then fires. And there's, there's all these guys that are capable of it, but I'm just worried that they won't live up to the potential. And that's what kind of makes me nervous. Well, you know, look, I think Morton is very injury prone. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. got the lowest ceiling of, of all these guys. So it's, as fantasy owners, I think we certainly wish upon him. This is we're just so bad, such bad people. But you know, we wish upon Charlie Morton to, to you know, go to the bullpen or something to make room for really uh, uh, Paulino or <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, but I mean, I do think that that's one of the more likely scenarios. And then you know, you did mention that uh, McHugh's got the dead arm. I don't think that's going to be something long term. That's going to be a problem for yeah. him. But fires fires could right. just as easily go to the bullpen. So. I think that the health of Lance McCullers here really is key. And the Astros, they've been taking it slow with him this spring to preserve him because he is a key part right. of that rotation. So I don't mm-hmm. know if, you know, Keuchel potentially becomes a trade candidate. That seems to me a little far-fetched. But I, I just, I don't know where there is room for everybody. And maybe it's a, a scenario where Paulino and Martez 
uh, get eased in 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 relief roles much the way that they've done with Michael Feliz. You know, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I have to admit, we did a piece for our uh, fan rag fantasy guide this week. This is um, the week that we're focusing on starting pitchers, and so a couple days ago, we each uh, wrote an installment on who's who are we targeting as uh, as an impact rookie, and two of the players that I mentioned were. Paulino and Martez, because in terms of their track record, I mean, they, they could stack up among the top rookies this year. But I really, I, I made Luke Weaver my guy to focus on, because I think both in terms mm-hmm. of the skill set and the opportunity that he's above pretty much just about everybody, with maybe the exception of Jarrell Cotton, who I think has a, a rotation spot sewn up already. But, um, yeah, I just think that as good as, as those two are for the Astros, uh, Paulino and Martez, that the opportunity probably isn't there. Even, you know, we can play out the Charlie right. scenario and all that. And I, I just don't see it. Maybe one of them, but, but probably not both, but you know, we'll mm-hmm. time, time will tell. Uh, right. let's yeah. Uh, sorry. Just, uh, we got a lot to cover here. We got a couple other, um, prospects that I do want to touch upon here. One is AJ Reed who got a, a chance last year and unfortunately didn't, really do a whole lot with it and Derek Fisher who has mm-hmm. yet to make his major league debut uh outfield prospect do you think there's more opportunity for Reed or Fisher as compared to one of the pitching prospects I mean for me I think AJ Reed has enough well how do you I mean I've actually physically seen him play. When you when this guy walks out, you say a cuss word. This guy's huge. And the guy just has so much power. And he's going to get a lot of playing time in the spring. Hinch recently did say that. Um, and he's, so I don't know if that means that he's just, you know, going to put himself out a little bit more. I think the, the only problem that I worry about is the situation at first base. Um, I think he is um, technically, he could also do like a DH kind of scenario. I just don't think that's where they're going to go in regards to, to that. But I could easily see AJ Reed um, getting bumped up because of the fact that um, he does have a little bit of, you know, playing time up there, but there's uh, Yuli Guriel and then Marlon Gonzalez as well. And then you have to worry about Tyler White just to add to it. And I know you've written about who the heck is going to play first base for the Astros. <laughs> and it's, that's a huge question mark, right? And even if they, if somebody is shifted to the DH position from first base, there's still quite a few guys on there. Um, right. So that, and then we'll could throw like Gattis into that mark. equation too, right? Because exactly, could... exactly. Exactly. And that's so I don't think DH is necessarily. Yeah. Sorry. I don't think DH is the solution because even if Beltron's hurt uh, or misses time for some reason, that, that just opens up an opportunity for, for Gaddis to play more. And we'll talk mm-hmm. more about that situation uh, in the next segment. But yeah, I think, I think Reed's going to emerge as the first baseman. I just think he's far and away the, uh, the most skilled one. And he overall did not have a lot of success at the major league level, but he had his moments and I don't think he's got right. anything left to prove in triple a. And then Fisher, you know, that's a crowded situation too uh, in the outfield, but you know, Nori Aoki, maybe, uh, you know, if he, he had a great finish to last season, if he can't follow that up and kind of reverts to who he was previously, maybe that opens up an opportunity for, to, for Fisher, but I think Fisher will be ready at some point this year. Mm-hmm. So, Jess, we got a whole lot of Twitter questions, mostly about the Astros. Oh, yeah. So I think that mm-hmm. could pretty much take us through the end of the show. But we do need to take a break here first. But when we come back, we're going to hit those questions. 
everybody this is fan rag fantasy baseball and we are going to answer a whole bunch of twitter questions try to get to all of them we've been focusing on the astros when i say we i'm talking about jessica kleinschmidt who's here with me on today's episode and uh, jess yeah we got a lot of really good questions about the astros i mean it's it's a jam-packed roster and so there's going to be questions Mm -hmm. about who's going to fit where and how much playing time there's going to be go around. So let's get to it and start with one of the questions that we already started to allude to a little bit. This is from Trevor Dunning at T Dunning. And he asked, how much playing time is Evan Gaddis going to get? Now I mentioned mm-hmm. that DH could be a possibility for him uh, on occasion, maybe first base. He has some outfield experience, but he's, he's the backup catcher, which seems very odd <laughs> because he's fantasy wise been a top fantasy catcher so it's weird to think of him as a backup but uh what's your what's your best guess as to how much playing time he gets well it's an interesting dynamic so the stuff that i have read about what hinch has said was basically he mentioned the dh and the catcher position he was even saying like people forget that he's a catcher and which is weird to him and weird to all of us but he's equipped to handle the catcher position. I guess that could be if McCann it gets injured or if he needs a break. I'm not really sure like what the mentality is with that. Um, and then, of course, we did mention the first base position and the DH position. So I don't know if that means he'll get more time because he could play anywhere or less time because he could play anywhere. And I don't really know. Like It depends. And I love him. She's one of my favorite managers to follow. But I don't really know what his mentality is going into it. Um, and, but he's, he's very passionate when he does talk about Gaddis, which, you know, when it comes to the, the catcher DH in the first base scenario, meaning he's probably going to get quite a bit more playing time than we're probably mentally prepared for, which is great. He can, you know, do it all, but you add that to the fact that there's how many, I know there's only a certain amount of players on a roster, but it feels like the Astros have a little bit more than normal. It's just weird. So I don't really know like how that's going to, going to play out, but he definitely, um, Hinch definitely does um, like the the scenario of him getting a lot of playing time. Yeah, well, I, I'm expecting about 400 plate appearances. So that's for, for a player of his caliber, that's pretty modest expectation. So may, maybe I'm you know, right in line with what you were saying, just that he's going to play more than I'm expecting. But I, I'm really, unless he's a huge value, I am avoiding Gaddis on draft day because I'm very worried about where he's going to have that opportunity. I mean, McCann himself is a formidable uh, offensive force and they didn't bring him in, I think, to just be a, a part-time catcher. So, uh, and I think is, that's what the question is. We don't know where he's going to end up playing the most. Yeah. So I, again, my estimate, admittedly, probably a conservative one is, is 400 plate appearances. So that's mm-hmm. obviously going to, if if that is accurate, <laughs> that's going to hurt his value quite a bit. But uh, so it sounds like you think you, you'll, you'll take the over on that, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Greg Ward at G Ward 1202 is asking us if Josh Reddick is worth drafting in a three outfielder league. And if so, around what point in the draft, just yay or nay? I'm going to say nay. And the reason why, yeah, the reason why is I, I feel like I've tried and I've tried and I've tried <laughs> to back up Josh Reddick and I really have. And that was, 
the A's days, of course, got a special place in my heart from the guy is a ball player, but I don't know how he's going to pan out in, in this scenario. Even his short sit with the Dodgers was just rough. And, you know, if you, especially in this type of format, there are obviously way better options for probably cheaper prices. Unfortunately, and I hate saying that, but my initial answer is no. Yeah. No, three outfielder league, I would say definitely no. Five outfielder league, definitely yeah. yes. But right. when he flipped that switch at some point in 2014 and decided to be a guy who hits for contact, he did lose a little bit of power in that exchange. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have the power hitting all or nothing guy. <laughs> Somebody right. who's going to hit 270, 275 and maybe only hit 15 home runs. So I know he did hit right. 20 two years ago, but... I'm not necessarily expecting that. And he's somebody also who has trouble staying healthy, so that that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. So I would agree with you and say no on that. All right. Uh, you talked about Yuli Gurriel earlier, earlier mm-hmm. and Ryan McGarry at Real Ryan McGarry wants us to talk about him some more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan right. says he picked Gurriel up as a che- uh, cheap free agent last year, but can't figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. What should he do? Well, okay, so... Guriel just kind of came in, you know, and and when he came into this scenario, there was already enough people as it is. I think he was trying, I don't remember if he was trying to be in the third base position or the shortstop. I know there was the scenario with Luis Valbuena and Carlos Correa and like everybody and their mom, there was all these scenarios going on, but I really like Yuli Guriel. And, you know, if Gaddis deals with another injury, that could be a a type of scenario. Something bad happens to Bregman. Guriel could be of great value. Um, and of course you don't want to wish anything bad on these guys, but he is, um, kind of a depth pick, um, a little bit, you know, he's 32 and had his first major league season last year, um, but only played in 36 games. So it's kind of one of those scenarios. I don't know how people get all with, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things going up against him, his age and only like a few games in in the bigs, but he did put up a pretty awesome show in, in the minors. So I don't know how many people, um, kind of go for that, but, you know, hit a lot of bombs. Um, and if, if people, people are kind of expect, not a lot of bombs, he hit a lot of bombs in 2009. If people are expecting him to kind of have a similar scenario when he, you know, played for a totally different league than there, I don't think that's going to happen for them. Um, but he's another extra body in a lineup that doesn't need any more bodies. And that kind of makes yeah. me nervous. So I think people need to you know, be careful about his playing time. You know, I don't really know how, where he's going to end up um, or how often he's going to be there. And I don't really know what the mentality is in, in the organization right now. If they're going to give him some triple A time once again, I don't think they will because they wanted him to get up so bad, but I, the discussion's out there on him, but I'm not really pumped on him. Yeah, well, Hinch made the comment a few months back. You know, you alluded to the piece that I wrote. And right around that time, Hinch was quoted as saying that it's basically Guriel's job to lose. I mean, that wasn't what he said exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but in so many words, that Guriel's the front runner. But I generally am a believer in the skill set winning out when there's a competition. And I right. just think that Reed is just the, the superior producer. And I love uh, Reed. I love I, him. I, I do, I too. so. So in terms of, you know, advice for Ryan, uh, he got him cheap and I I don't know the particulars of his roster situation, but if there's any sort of crunch there, if there's anybody, you know, with upside or more job security, 
that could lose their roster spot uh, on his fantasy roster because of Gurriel, I, I, I'd cut him loose. I just All we have to go on is that handful of games that you mentioned, Jess, but that's what mm-hmm. we have to go on, and, and there, just, there wasn't right. a lot of power there. And uh, at this position especially, uh, he needs that to, to be sufficiently productive. So now somewhere in there you, you talked about Bregman, Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a tweet here from Mike C at FB Mike 13. How high would you reach for Bregman in a first year keeper draft to keep forever? And that for me really does change the calculus because right. I'm not sure that Bregman is going to be able to live up to all the hype in his first full season. I know he struggled terribly I at agree. first and then really turned it on after that. But I think he's somebody who could provide a good amount of power this year but not necessarily hit for average because uh, because he's pretty fly ball prone. So, but long term, uh, where would you see drafting Bregman? I, I I agree with you there. It's really difficult for me to give him the go ahead. And you know, I was there was a lot of hype when he got bumped up, and it was just it was really difficult. It was really difficult to watch. You know how he wasn't really performing. When he did pick it up, it wasn't too bad. Um, but he's he's not a type type of guy where I'd put in the same scenario with like Manny Machado's and and those types of guys. It's difficult for me to give him the go ahead. The team loves him. Jose Altuve says he's got one of the most beautiful swings he's ever seen. But in that type of of scenario, it'd be really hard for me to reach super super high for him. All right. Well, in a keeper league, I could see going probably about fifth round for him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of without knowing the particulars, I, I it's, it's hard to know. But that that you know, give or take around that that's where I'd go. All right, we got about a minute left here. Uh, do you think Dallas Keuchel is going to rebound this year? Yes or no? I'm this gonna Doug, hope yes. Doug Dennis, by the way, sorry. I'm going to hope hope yes. I hope so. I think he will. I buy the story of him pitching hurt all year last year. So on that note, we're unfortunately going to have to skip the question about what our favorite unicorn is. Uh, maybe some other show. Yeah. But thank you for coming on. Uh. Really appreciate it. We will be back on Sunday with Greg Jewett. Hope to see you then. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. <laughs>